0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Delicious Yellow podcast with me, Matthew Mills, and my wife and business partner, Ella
2: Mills. Hi, guys. I cannot believe this is our last episode of season three. The last 12 weeks have gone so fast and we are pausing now to go and have a baby which is even more surreal i'm actually going to really really miss it over the summer but we will be back i promise for season four in the autumn with baby in tow and i'm also really proud a little bit surprised to say that as this airs we will have clocked up five million lessons on the podcast since we launched last september which is just absolutely nuts and we just wanted to take a second to say a huge huge thank you for all that support we have so so loved doing this creating in this space and hopefully using the podcast to just share a little bit of kind of happiness and healthiness with you. So just a huge, huge thank you from the both of us. So today's episode is all about helping us feel that little bit healthier. And it's one that I've been so looking forward to. I mean, as you guys will know, there is a lot of confusing, conflicting information out there around diet and lifestyle, what to eat, what not to eat. And so today we want to clear a little bit of that up. So we're going to be diving into the science, the data, the evidence, the studies around the power of a plant-rich diet and asking the question, can we really eat in a way that supports and potentially prevents some of the biggest health issues that we face today? So to help us in this, we have the brilliant Dr. Gemma Newman with us. Welcome, Gemma. Thank you so much for coming.
1: Thank you for having me, Ella. Thank you, Matt. (laughs) And
0: so, Gem, before we jump into the episode, can we just start with some basics? So why are five or ten portions of fruit and veg a day. Why vegetables? Why Why a
1: plant-rich diet? Well, it's funny that we say five portions because that's the government guideline, but yeah. there was actually a study done by Imperial Uh, not long ago, they they looked at 95 studies and they pulled the data and they realised that if you have 10 portions of fruits or vegetables a day then you actually reduce your risk of dying early by up to about a third and they didn't find an upper limit of benefit at all. So basically we know that the more fruits and vegetables we eat, the less likely we are to die early. Why? Well, they've got phytonutrients, antioxidants, vitamins, minerals and in fact some of the phytonutrients we haven't even named yet. There are that many and also they tend to have a synergistic effect so we're not going to necessarily even be able to quantify how much benefit we're getting from these substances.
0: And what is a phytonutrient?
1: It's a type of nutrient that only comes from plants and things like lycopene from tomatoes, sulforaphane from cruciferous vegetables. So if you think about kale and cauliflower and um, broccoli those are called cruciferous vegetables. And they contain this amazing thing called sulforaphane, which helps the liver through phase two detoxification. So it basically allows your body to kind of process the things that are going through the liver effectively. And what's amazing is that you get them from these particular vegetables.
2: Okay, so there's no upper limit. So having your five-a-day is slightly not enough we want to be aiming for our 10 a day but if we had our 15 a day we would keep seeing more benefits that what we yeah, think Yeah,
1: that's what we think and the question is i mean how much can you tolerate i mean if you look at sort of paleolithic man who we wonder well, how much fiber did they actually eat and you can look at paleolithic poop and you can actually see that they had about 150 uh, grams of fiber a day Really? Because the guidelines amount. are
2: 30 grams aren't they? Yeah The guidelines wow. are
1: 30 And, and most of the UK of us average
0: in, is about 17 to 19 is that yeah, right? yeah that's
1: right and most of you know, if you're having an ultra processed diet you're looking at more like 15 mm-hmm. grams so you can see that actually the more the merrier really in terms of fiber from plants because you can't get fiber from animal foods
2: Just to kind of remind our listeners what does the fiber do? Why is that a good thing?
1: Oh it's amazing for so many reasons um Well, it stops you from getting constipated, uh, so therefore it reduces your risk of things like varicose veins and appendicitis and diverticulitis. But also more than that, what's amazing is that it helps to feed your beneficial gut microbes. So you've got these incredible microbes that serve you inside your gut and all over your body. And when you eat fibre rich foods like fruits and vegetables and whole grains and beans and lentils and chickpeas and oats, all these kinds of foods, they help them to produce short chain fatty acids. Uh, things like butyrate and acetate and propionate and these are hugely beneficial because they feed our beneficial gut bugs and they allow them to then uh, make things like serotonin our feel-good neurotransmitter they help to modulate dopamine Uh, they help us to make vitamins and minerals inside the gut from the bacteria that we're housing so having having a variety of plant foods is the best way of maintaining optimal health
0: and we'd learned in a previous episode that up to 70% of your immune system is managed through your gut.
1: Yeah, so you've got uh, the gout, the gut-associated lymphoid tissue, and it all lives right there. There's only one cell of the of the lining of the gut, and then you've got all of these immune cells just right there next to it. And you have to if you think about it, because it's the, the main w- way you're going to get pathogens inside your body is through the gut. And so, yeah, a lot of the immune system is there. And that's also another way that the gut communicates with the brain. So yeah. the three main ways, you've got the vagus nerve, signals right up to the medulla oblongata, which is at the, the base of the brain. And in fact, there's more signals from the gut to the brain than the other way around. Wow. So you think, well, who's actually really in control? Yeah. Is it the gut bugs or is it you? Yeah. It's really complex, but so amazing. That is unbelievable. Yeah. And I wondered if you could kind of
2: share with our listeners a little bit more about how you came to your interest in plant-based eating and whole food diet because obviously you're a doctor and you went through medical school and but at that point you you weren't focused on this.
1: No, I mean, it's so interesting because I always love the idea of helping people. I think it's cool most doctors do want to do that. That's why they go into it mostly is they think, I really want to help people, I'm on a mission. And then, you know, you do learn a lot of really really interesting things. We learn about anatomy, pathophysiology of disease, pharmacology, you know, consultation skills. There's, there's so much in the medical degree. Nutrition doesn't play a huge part. We, we learn more about deficiencies and where things go wrong. But I think the medical paradigm is very much, there's something intrinsically wrong with the body and we have to figure out how to fix it. Rather than thinking... The body can heal itself if we give it the tools that it needs and quite early on I realised that my toolbox was majorly deficient in a sense like I was doing my best for people but things like chronic lifestyle diseases, hypertension and diabetes for example, no amount of pills that I was prescribing would ever reverse these conditions and I'd seen that people could reverse these conditions so that always piqued my curiosity. I thought well what what is it is it just food is it just exercise is it both is is it simple as eat less exercise more no it can't be there are so many complex determinants of health and so i really delved deep early on and i discovered things like solution focused brief, brief therapeutic approaches sort of psychological interventions for people motivational interviewing which really sort of began to help but i never experienced the power of preventative medicine and reversal medicine until I discovered plant-based nutrition. And that was quite some way into my journey. Um, And it was a personal thing, wasn't it, that that sparked it for you? Yes, it was. So my husband was running the London Marathon and he was constantly getting injured and inflamed and he couldn't finish it. And he was fed up because he wanted to do well. And so he started to look into what do the ultra runners do? How are they able to run... All of these kilometers and not injure themselves. And obviously, it's partially technique, but he was thinking, what about nutrition? So he read books on um, ultra runners. So he read about Scott Jurek, Born to Run, uh, Brendan, Braziers Thrive, Finding Ultra by Rich Roll. And he thought, hang on a minute, these guys are all plant based. Maybe I should try it. And so he did. And at the time, I thought, hmm aren't you going to get a nutritional <laughs> deficiency? And then I thought, oh my God, socially, we're never going to be invited to anyone's house for dinner again. <laughs> um, well, I think those are two of people's biggest worries. Yeah. yeah. And I, as a doctor, I hadn't really looked into it that much. I thought there must be something wrong with this. I, it cannot be what it, they're claiming it is. So then I began to delve deep into the research. And meanwhile, he'd already started doing his thing and he stopped getting injuries and he was really impressed with his progress so I started reading the books I started looking into the literature and then I felt a little bit embarrassed then to be honest with you I felt like why why didn't I know this stuff why had nobody taught me this stuff I thought well actually you know now I'm looking into it I can see that it's really beneficial and his second marathon that he ran he ran it an hour and 10 minutes faster than his first marathon through the change in diet and That really got my attention, although I'd already read the research and it just, it became a sort of a personal mission after that because I started to see benefits for my family, diverticulitis, pains improving, recurrent abscesses improving.
2: And wasn't there some blood work? that you did am I right in yes saying?
1: that's right so I'm sorry I'm a full stalker <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm fine with it <laughs> yeah so I'd lost a lot of weight doing a low carb diet years before and so I thought well that must be the way to do it you know everybody says cut the carbs so I thought okay well I'll do that I just kind of followed convention and decided to cut the carbs I was eating generally healthy otherwise lots of chicken lots of fish lots of salads what you'd expect to be eating and I lost a load of weight. I was exercising every day. I felt good. And then, you know, feeling a bit sort of smug with myself. I thought, "Oh, I just check my blood tests, my blood panel. I bet I'm really healthy." You know, this is like a benchmark for the rest of my life, you know. And I was really shocked because my lipid profile was raised. And I knew that having And what does that mean? So we look at various things. We look at cholesterol levels, and we look at something called LDL and HDL and the ratio of the two. Essentially, what you're looking for is the proteins that carry fats around the blood and the fats themselves. And And it's one of the risk factors for heart disease. It's not the only one. The lipid panel is the main blood test that we do conventionally to look for these things. And... My cholesterol levels were raised and uh, my so-called bad fats, my LDL was raised. And I was in my 20s and I knew at that time that my grandfather had already suffered a heart attack whilst playing tennis. And I was yet to discover, unfortunately, tragically, that my father as well was to have the same fate. A few years later, he died suddenly of a heart attack and he wasn't obese, you know. So... I knew that there was that family history, but I just felt fairly fatalistic about it. I thought, well, there's nothing I can, I can do. I've tried everything. I've eaten healthily. I'm the right kind of weight. I just have to chalk it up to, that's my genetic destiny, and left it at that. But then, when I went through the research and I read about the work of the Lifestyle Heart Trial, Esselstyn studies, I began to really see there's a way of reversing this, and there's physiological mechanisms that make it So, so, I tried it, and a month after I started my plant based whole foods diet, my cholesterol levels, my lipid panel was all completely normal and this was like over ten years later, two kids later exercising less than half the amount, weighing more, and I'd achieved something that I hadn't managed to achieve in when thirty I was, days, yeah, and i knew I knew how powerful it was because I'd read the data and I'd seen it i mean, it's amazing. Are you familiar with Esselstyn's work? He's, yeah,
2: I am, and it was one of the things that inspired me massively because I came at this obviously not from a medical background but from a very skeptical place people had always thrown around phrases like you are what you eat and things like that and I thought well basically I live off gummy bears and I'm not a gummy bear so I must be fine (laughs) Um, and I started researching and reading as I was looking to help myself and I it was work like that where there was I didn't have a heart condition in in that in that sense but you suddenly thought okay well if this is powerful enough to help with heart disease then surely it might be able to help me exactly but would you be able to kind of tell tell our listeners a little bit more about that
1: Absolutely. I mean, Esselstyn is one of my favourite physicians because he's truly groundbreaking. He He got 24 people who were essentially at death's door. I mean, let's not beat around the bush. They had heart disease. They'd already had a cardiac event, either a heart attack or severe angina. They'd already had surgeries often artery, bypass surgeries, angiography and there was nothing more that conventional medicine could really offer these people and he decided to put them on a whole foods plant based, no oil diet and he looked at their medical records and he seen that the previous 12 years before his intervention, they'd had 49 cardiac events between them these people, like majorly sick and what was so interesting is that those that stuck with the diet he followed them up and um, at the 8 year mark After they started the diet, there was one event in eight years, and that was in somebody who had stopped doing the diet six years previous and gone back to their normal Western diet. And so he decided to do more um, interventions. And back in 2014, he had nearly 200 people doing the same thing whole food, plant based, no oil. And there was no mandated exercise in his program, there was nothing but diet intervention. There's been other ones that are very similar which have had really great results like the lifestyle heart trial from 1990 that showed regression of the plaques inside the heart um, vessels Uh, but they'd also had stress reduction and they'd had half an hour of mandated walking. They'd had other interventions but Esselstyn's work was just with diet and with the nearly 200 people that he helped back in 2014 it was absolutely incredible. I think they had an event rate of less than 0.6 percent and then of those that those few people that didn't continue with it, he followed them up as well. I think out of nearly 200 people, there were about 20 that didn't didn't go ahead and carry on. And in those that didn't carry on with it, there was a 62% event rate, which is basically 100 times different in the amount of people that had some sort of cardiac event and those that didn't.
2: That is, it's just extraordinary.
1: Yeah, it's amazing. And for any physicians who might be listening and worried about, should I recommend this? You know, what about conventional therapies? I'm not saying that you should you should not have a conventional way of looking at things and have the medications um, or maybe the angios, but I am saying that, It's so powerful that if you don't tell people, then in a sense, you're really doing them an injustice because if they could benefit, then it's worth them knowing.
0: But what's the reason that for the medical profession, this hasn't become a deeper part of training if if these things are out there?
1: Well, it's a really good question, and you would expect that once Esselstyn's work was published, that the cardiologist would be banging on his door mm-hmm. saying, "You know, I want to know." But I think there's a mixture of things. There's partly as ignorance of his work um, or the work of the other people doing these things. Partly it's um, remuneration. Doctors are generally good people, but obviously, especially in the US, they have to make money through generally through procedures and medications. Uh, you don't get money for talking about nutrition, so it's not something that's really on the radar in terms of training or indeed, you know, future training. So that might be part of it.
0: But for the NHS, for example? For the
1: NHS, I think it's just, it's a resistance to learning about things that are not, perhaps practical I ask myself this question because we do have physicians who are interested in lifestyle medicine for example like we you know they've got the American College of Lifestyle Medicine we've now got the British Society of Lifestyle Medicine where they talk about lifestyle and nutrition is one part of that so there is a resurging popularity for for lifestyle but there's a lot of skepticism around nutrition and I don't know if it's considered to be a little bit of an inaccurate science, perhaps like mm. you, you don't necessarily have the same data endpoints a lot of the time. It's very hard to do randomized control trials. Uh, you can do them, but even when you do, there are so many other factors, confounding factors in people's lives that make it quite difficult. And you can't really ever run long-term randomized control trials, which are considered to be the pharmacological gold standard. Which, in some senses, you have to train yourself to to open your mind, because. I think medical training sometimes in some ways closes your mind to to looking at other possibilities. So I'm hoping that this kind of education will help to open up the minds of doctors as well as the public. But they don't need to worry because, I mean, there was a trial called the COURAGE trial, which proved that angiography in stable patients was actually no more beneficial than medical therapies. So you've got nothing to lose. If someone's not having an acute heart attack right there in front of you, then they may not actually benefit from an angio as much as they would from diet advice. But you can't just look at one study. So you've got the Lifestyle Heart, then you've got Esselstyn's work, which has spanned over a long time, back from the 80s all the way up to 2014 and beyond. And you've also got one from India called the Mount Abu Heart Trial from 2011, which is another really interesting one. They had... 123 cardiac patients which have been proven by angiography and they analyzed 360 lesions and they were analyzed by two independent radiographers so this is basically people who have active heart disease and thinning of the coronary arteries which is means more likely to get a heart attack in the future and of those that stuck with the whole foods diet there was a 91% trend towards regression so you can see that people are making improvements you know even with quite sort of small interventions over a short period of time and even in those who didn't see regression of these sort of thickening inside their arteries what's great about a plant-based diet is that it encourages the lining of the artery to make something called nitric oxide which really helps to make it much more supple much more responsive it can bring your blood pressure down to normal and it, it also means that you can stabilize the plaques that are there which is also a really important part. So even if you find that if you're on a whole food plant-based diet and your angiography shows that you haven't unfortunately managed to reverse some of the plaque formation in your vessel, you're still much less likely to get a clot because the, the plant-based diet is f- forming a stronger cap over those plaques. So it's helpful in so many ways.
2: And outside, obviously, heart disease is, is the number one killer in the world right yep. now, right? Yeah, Which, it,
1: Yeah, in the Western world, it's the number one killer. And I think a person is admitted to hospital in the UK every three minutes with a heart attack. That's British Heart Foundation. That's what they tell us. So it's it's number one cause of death and we have to take it seriously.
2: Obviously, you see patients for all kinds of things all day, every day. Do you find this is helping across the board? Are there are there studies and science and data to show it helps all kinds of other things, you know, other com- common issues like high cholesterol, high blood pressure, the kinds of things that people would often go and see a GP for?
1: Absolutely. And it's funny you should say that because one of the first people that I was brave enough to talk about plant-based nutrition with had high blood pressure. And I <laughs> he was so funny because he he sat down in the consultation, he looked at me and he said... I've been sent home from work and I'm I've been told not to come back. And I looked at him, I thought, Oh my god, what's he done? <laughs> you know, because when you're in a GP consult, you you never know what mm. someone's gonna come in with. And I thought you, you hear all sorts of stories. So I said, What's happened? Why? Why did they tell you not to come back? And then he explained that he was a driver, he worked at the airport, he had a spot test medical, his blood pressure was sky high, and they said, You can't you can't drive here. We're gonna tell the DVLA go to your GP, get it sorted out. You're going to have to take the test again. You're going to have to have a proper medical before you can come back to work. And he was distraught because he loved his job. Mm. And back then I thought, well, we've obviously got tablets. I've always got my tablets to rely on. And I told him about tablets and he said, I don't want to be on tablets. I said, well, what do (laughs) you want to do? (laughs) He said, I want to go back to work. There must be another way. And I said, well, there is another way. Would you like me to tell you about plant-based nutrition? He said, what's that? He was a South African and he was a heavy meat eater being South African. He loved his meat and he wasn't an obese man. So, you know, it wasn't because of um, any kind of a weight issue. I said, look, realistically, with the blood pressure this high, it was over 200, over 120, I think, which normal would be less than 130 over 80. Um, 120 or less is optimal. So he was way off. I said normally with a blood pressure that high we're going to need to use at least three tablets and we're going to need to use them gradually over time low low doses of each gradually increase them and we may just about get it under control I can't guarantee it would ever be normal and he said there must be another way I said well let's try and eat. Fruits, vegetables, whole grains, beans, lentils, chickpeas, oats, herbs and spices. And he looked at me, this look on his face, <laughs> it was hilarious. He said, oh, I'll give this plant thing a try. And I thought, oh my God, I really hope this works because he's, <laughs> he's not going to be happy coming back if it doesn't. So I told him a few things to eat. I gave him a few recipe ideas. I'm always telling patients about your stuff, by the way, Ella, oh, just so thank you know. Oh, thank And um, I told him to have a couple of tablespoons of flax seeds a day because I'd read a couple of studies showing that that brought blood pressure down as effectively as an antihypertensive medication and I also told him about the benefits of hibiscus tea for the same reason I've read a couple of studies on that so I said look two cups of hibiscus tea a day two tablespoons of flax seeds a day crushed up into a powder so it's more bioavailable crack on these are breakfast ideas here are some lunch ideas here are some dinner ideas go for it and he did Came back to see me the following week. Blood pressure was completely normal. In seven days? After seven days. I was completely stunned. I couldn't believe the results myself. I told him to come back to me again the following week. I actually brought him back three times because I couldn't believe it wasn't a fluke. And I did his medical personally, his blood pressure stayed completely normal. And he was delighted. And then, of course, you know, when when you get those kind of results, you, you, you tell everyone. So he was telling everyone about it. Again, I can't say that everybody is going to have such dramatic results as he did. And I've tried it with many patients. There have been many people that have had very, very good results. I've not seen anybody have no results with it. I think it depends if you're very elderly and you've had a high blood pressure for a very long time. It's probably not going to be so effective. But you'd be surprised. I had one elderly gentleman who was in his 80s. And he brought his blood pressure down to normal through diet as well. And I was really surprised because he was also overweight. And the results were... Jaw dropping to me and in a sense it makes my it makes my job so much more fulfilling. And I I say this to other doctors, you know, we all want to help people heal and, you know, get get to grips with their bodies and, and heal their own bodies. And to be able to help with that process is tremendously fulfilling. More fulfilling than anything else I've ever done in medicine.
2: Yeah, I can I can't imagine. I mean, people must feel
1: like it's completely changed their life. It it really does. And I have to say there's there's very few areas of illness and disease where I haven't seen data. Um, I think plant-based nutrition has the power to improve, halt or even reverse 14 of the top 15 causes of death in the Western world. So I've seen data on diabetes. I've seen data um, on heart disease. I've seen improvements and mechanistic data on cancer, autoimmune diseases. There's quite a lot of different diseases that seem to have benefits and there's different mechanisms at play, but it's very powerful.
0: And the only nutrient that people sometimes like to dwell on from a fully plant-based diet that that you may miss is B12. So you just suggest a, a supplement for that, but otherwise nothing else is needed.
1: So it depends on the person, but quite often we're very good at storing B12. So if someone has a B12 blood test and their levels are high, they're probably quite good at storing it and it'll be in their body for up to five years. B12 comes from microbes in the soil. So If you're eating grass-fed beef, then they'll probably be munching away on grass and soil and getting their B12 from the soil. And in years gone by, we would have probably got our B12 from the same source. You know, you get vegetables from the ground, untreated water, that's where your B12 lives. Nowadays, we don't eat vegetables straight from the ground and we don't drink untreated water and unfortunately, a lot of the meat that we eat is heavily processed or factory farmed, which means that they're not going to be getting any access to the soil either. So their feed is often, well, is always going to be fortified. So really, when you're on a plant-based diet, you're simply cutting out the middle cow, I guess you'd call mm-hmm. it, because you're going to be giving yourself the B12 that is made by microbes directly rather than having it recycled through another animal. In terms of other things, as I say, it's a little bit more individual. I always like to recommend vitamin D because most of us are vitamin D deficient and some of us are not very good at making vitamin D, predominantly from sunlight. So that's not necessarily a diet thing. I say that to everybody, whether they're plant-based or not, it's a good idea to check your vitamin D levels. Mm -hmm. I also like to recommend algae oil. Again, it's not necessarily a plant-based issue, but some people are not very good at converting omega-3s, the short chain to the long chain, omega-3 fatty acids. And so fish is an excellent source of long chain omega-3 fatty acids. And that's that's what the main areas that you, you get omega-3s from. So you ask yourself, well, where do the fish get it from? Are the fish good at making this conversion? Well, it turns out that they swim in the ocean and they gulp on algae all day. And the algae is actually where they get their long-chain omega-3 fatty acids from. So if you want a direct and pure source of long-chain omega-3 fatty acids, then algae oil supplements are a really good way of getting that. It contains EPA and DHA. And you haven't got the same contaminants that you would have Say if you were taking something like cod liver oil supplements or even fish, you know you've got you've got the saturated fat in fish, you've got zero fibre, but these days fish is not the health food that it used to be because you've got the dioxins and the heavy metals and the PCBs in the ocean, you've got all these industrial chemicals that they bioaccumulate because they are swimming in it all day. Mm. And then as the larger mammal, we eat them and then we bioaccumulate that same stuff in our fat cells. So it's not unfortunately the health food that it used to be.
2: And what about other things? Like I think there's a, a fear sometimes of like protein and calcium and iron and, and I wanted to touch on as well pregnancy for example and like bringing up your children obviously feels very relevant to us at the moment because there is a lot of fear around this it feels like.
1: Yes I know. I'd really like people to be reassured by listening to me talk about it today because Actually, having a plant-based diet can be tremendously helpful. If you've if you've got a well-planned plant-based diet, then for children you're going to be minimising their risk of allergies and chronic lung infections and ear infections in childhood. And there are studies around that? Yeah, and there's really good books around that as well. There's not a great deal of direct research on children because yeah ethics. you know you can't really <laughs> ethically do that but there was an interesting study actually on completely vegan children it was published by the american journal of clinical nutrition And it was on British children in the 1980s and 90s. And they were followed up for about 13 years from pre-pregnancy and beyond. And what was really interesting to me about that study is that it was very rare for anyone to do studies on kids in that sense. But also...
2: When you say pre-pregnancy and beyond, what ages were they then?
1: So when I say pre-pregnancy, I mean that the mums were pregnant and that they were vegan. Right. So they were being followed up as well as the babies and the young children. I see. And the follow-up period was 13 years. And what they discovered was that the vegan children had really good micronutrient profiles across the range compared to their omnivorous counterparts. But there were two nutrients that they had less of, and that was uh, calcium and saturated fat. And of course, nowadays with our obesity epidemic, then I don't think it's a bad thing that the kids had less saturated fat in their diets. And the great thing about calcium is that it's actually more bioavailable in plant sources. So as long as you're mindful to ensure that you've got lots of things like leafy greens and, and nuts and seeds and fruits, uh, then you're going to have plenty of calcium as well. So, so
2: you don't actually need as much.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I think uh broccoli has 52% bioavailability compared to cow's milk which is more in around 30% range. Wow. Something like that. So, uh, as long as you're mindful to in- include calcium rich sources of uh vegetables and fruits, then you're onto a winner.
2: My favorite is that hummus is so rich, in it's it? Cuz so... you've got sesame seeds and chickpeas and Exactly. I'm like a hummus fiend, so it's uh, hummus
1: it's is brilliant. amazing. So yeah, there is a lot of fear around it. I just tr- I do try and reassure people. I think that kids probably need a little bit more in the way of fat in their diet than grown-ups do. And so making sure that they're having things like nut butters or tahini as well, um, avocados, olives, if they'll tolerate it. Mm. Kids can be so fussy sometimes. I think that's the thing as well. But pregnancy, making sure that you know your little baby's going to be so lucky because she's got you eating all these amazing foods and... You know, so her taste buds are going to be primed for these delicious foods from day one, which is going to be quite helpful. But yeah,
2: I've had a lot of messages from people saying... If you really stayed vegan throughout your pregnancy, is that safe? And then a lot of people saying, you know, are you really gonna um, bring up your child as in a, you know kind of plant-based way? Is that safe? And
1: there's a lot of emotion around it. Yeah, isn't there?
2: absolutely. And I totally understand it because this information doesn't feel that widely available, and therefore, obviously, and you feel a huge, heavy sense of responsibility, and you, you don't want to get anything wrong, and you feel like you are kind of going against the status quo, which is a A challenge,
1: yeah, I'm sure it is, and uh, luckily, because I'm looking at it from a medical perspective, I feel very fortunate to be able to look at the you know the evidence at hand, and I can say that. But even the British Dietetic Association and the American Dietetic Association, they both say that a well-planned vegan diet is perfectly acceptable for every stage in the life cycle, and even has potential benefits for disease reversal. And what diseases are they talking about? They're talking about things like heart disease and cancer, our number one and two killers. So looking at it logically, there's really no reason to to be worried as long as you are giving them a varied diet. And that would be the same for anyone. So say you have an omnivorous child and all they'll eat is hula hoops and, you know, chicken nuggets. That's clearly not a varied diet. They will fall into severe problems. So I think you just have to, to look at it logically and say, well, OK, if I'm giving them a well-planned, whole food, plant-based diet, then really there's nothing that they need to worry about, just... As with anyone, I'd say that the guidelines say, for example, that kids should have vitamin D supplementation. So I think vitamin D would be important. B12, obviously, is an important one. And I particularly favour algae oil supplementation because, you know, it's a direct source of long chain omega-3s. And as I say, some people are not great at that conversion.
0: So you touched on earlier the link between the gut-brain axis and there's some studies that have come out that have started to show uh, links in to support mental health from improved nutrition and improved gut health. Can you expand a bit more on those?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Mental health is one of the biggest issues of our time and I think in clinic I see a lot of uh, patients with chronic diseases. Mental health hugely impacts those. It's hard to separate cause and effect but I think it's becoming a big problem. And there is a lot of data now to suggest that what we eat can really affect our mental health. There was a systematic review in the Journal of Psychosomatic Medicine. They looked at nearly 70,000 people and they showed there was a significant improvement in anxiety if you were eating fibre-filled foods rather than processed foods and rather than processed meats. And the SMILES trial was done back in 2017, which was a modified Mediterranean diet intervention. It's a randomised controlled trial. And they had people who had social support and people who were just basically given advice on having lots of things like whole grains and vegetables predominantly. Basically a modified Mediterranean way of eating. And they showed that their depression rates were much, much lower. I think there was like a third depression remission versus 8% in the social support group. But what's interesting to me is the plant-based diet aspect of it because there's a, there's quite a lot of data to show that specifically plant-based eating patterns are very good for mood. There was this weight loss trial that was done about 10 years ago. They had 106 obese people and they split them into a healthy low-carb and a healthy high-carb diet group. And those that had the healthy high-carb diet lost about the same amount of weight as those on the healthy low-carb diet, which was fantastic. But really interestingly, they had much better well-being scores. They had much better anxiety and depression scores, much better productivity scores. So there was something about eating more of a whole food plant-based approach that improved their mood so so much more and i think that's partly due to you know, what i said before about the short chain fatty acids and how they promote dopamine and serotonin release through the microbes but also tryptophan Availability. Tryptophan is the amino acid that we need to make serotonin. And although meat is very high in tryptophan, you'd think that the low carb dieters would feel good because of that, but actually they didn't seem to. And there's a postulation that it's because actually there's a reduced bioavailability of it because there's more competition with other amino acids in this very meat heavy diet. And so If you're having more plant-based tryptophan sources, then potentially you've got better mood outcomes because it becomes more bioavailable. So you've got the fibre with the tryptophan. So things like sunflower seeds and sesame seeds and butternut squash, they're very high tryptophan foods and they've got the fibre as well folate for example has been associated with improved mood scores carotenoids in kind of your yellow and your orange fruits and vegetables also improved mood scores you know, there's lots of different mechanisms that would that would give you benefits so it's really really powerful it's
2: absolutely extraordinary there's a lot of kind of quite confusing terminology around vegan vegetarian plant-based whole foods etc etc and i think i just wanted to clarify what we're talking about here is a whole foods diet Right, yes. it's not a vegan diet for ethical and environmental reasons is a kind of different conversation, and one obviously we all massively respect, but this is about human health, and in that that's about a plant based diet is probably a better description of it because it is about eating lots of plants, whole foods, so it's about cooking, it's about eating those kind of fresh fruit, veg, chickpeas, lentils, etc. So it's not so much about like the meat substitutes and the cheese substitutes and like um, vegan cookies and things like that. Is that right?
1: That is right, Ella. You've got it in one. It's about having plants and whole foods as close to their natural state as possible and uh, just enjoying home cooking, seasonal cooking, ideally. Organic uh, fruits and vegetables as well, I think, is, is a really useful thing. And so why organic? Well, there's some data emerging that, well, for example, there was a study in the JAMA not that long ago. It was a French study funded by the um, French National Institute of Health. And they, they looked at people who were eating organic foods versus people who weren't. And they attempted to correct for confounding factors like You know, socioeconomic status. So basically, you know, if you're more well off, then you're more likely to buy organic things. They tried to counter for that. And they found that basically those that ate more organic food had, on average, around 25% less chance of developing cancer than those that didn't. And there's now quite a lot of strong links between heavy pesticide exposure and lymphoma, for example. Monsanto's being sued. Obviously, they've been taken over by Bayer. I imagine there's going to be a lot more cases coming up. And you just. Also mechanistically, you've got to think, well, what's actually happening? Pesticides are antibacterials. They are designed to kill bacteria and fungi. And so, you know, you kill the bacteria, fungi and viruses in the soil. You've got barren soil. It leaches the minerals from the soil. The soil is not going to be as healthy. It's not going to be as nutrient rich as if you have non-pesticide filled soil. And the topsoil gets washed away very easily by the rain. And the soil becomes quite concrete like. Whereas if you have regenerative no-till agriculture, especially, but just you're avoiding pesticides, then you're going to be more likely to have a soil that's going to be beneficial for your own gut bugs. You know you don't want to be eating food that has something in it that will then potentially be detrimental to your own gut microbes. So that's why I think organic is is preferential. It's hard, isn't it? Because people can't always afford that. Yeah,
2: yeah. It's significantly more expensive. It's
1: significantly more expensive. And this is why the whole food system has to change. This is why I I often talk about regenerative no-till agriculture and subsidising fresh fruits and vegetables Mm. rather than subsidising meats because we need to make these changes for the whole population's health Mm. and the planet's health as well. It's so important. And Mm. the kind of economy's
2: health. You know, if you look at things like the NHS as well, it's a real 360 improvement that we would see.
1: It really is. And so for people who have financial restraint I completely you know I understand that completely and if you're if you live in a place with a high street that's got you know it's got Greggs and KFC and McDonald's you know it's going to be the last thing on your mind but all I can say is like really try to look into well what can I afford perhaps look at the environmental working groups dirty dozen and clean 15 list which is list of um, the foods that absorb the most pesticide and the least so you just at least buy a few things that might be organic Mm -hmm. and a few things not and try and cook at home try and learn to cook with things like staple foods like whole grains brown rice um, lentils, beans, chickpeas. These foods are so cheap and so easy to cook with. Yeah, like dals and bean chilies yeah, and things like that. These humble foods, exactly. And they are, they are the best for our health. So. And so easy. And you can make like a
2: humongous vat for, yeah. for very, very little. And this is where
1: you come in, Ella, because you can help people, <laughs> you can teach people how to cook these incredible healthy foods, these humble, delicious foods. It won't cost them a ton and they'll really benefit from it.
2: Well, I hope so. I mean, our biggest belief is that there's no you know it's amazing to understand the reasons behind it but if it doesn't taste good and it doesn't feel doable how long can it so last
1: exactly it has to be a diet of abundance yeah. and, and joy and, and like, deliciousness yeah. and deliciousness delicious yeah. deliciously yellow yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is it you know what you're putting in has to feel good and has to taste good yeah. and that's the joy of a whole food plant based diet i think and it's you know, obviously it's not just about diet you know got tremendous importance of reducing stress and improving sleep patterns mm-hmm. and feeling a sense of gratitude and love and all these things are great for our autonomic nervous system but whole food plant-based diets is definitely one of the most powerful things as well and so if you were going to leave
2: our listeners with five take-homes you know if there were five things that they've heard and they're like these are the key things i need to remember or these are the things i'm going to tell my friend or my colleague to spread the word what would your five things be
1: learn to cook a basic recipe, perhaps one new thing a week, just to kind of give yourself a little bit more of a repertoire. Because most people, they learn maybe five or six dishes that they like to repeat. Um, each week just learn one new thing each week and make that one of your favourite meal swaps so if you like having a chicken curry think okay well I'm going to learn how to make a chickpea curry if you like to have uh, beef bolognese think I'm going to make a three bean chilli if you like to have porridge for breakfast think okay well I'm going to get whole grain porridge organic if I can I'm going to put a nut milk with it instead of my cow's milk and I'm going to sprinkle some seeds on top because I heard that was good for me just one change a week if you can will lead to tremendous results and then if you keep doing that week on week you're going to have a life that supports uh, the things that you want to do you're going to have a body that supports the life that you want to lead so learn a new recipe a week number two i'd say really aim to live with gratitude if you can which is really hard sometimes especially if you're struggling with a long-term condition but really aiming to see things in as much of a positive way as you can and focus perhaps on helping others uh, or what's your purpose what's your meaning what's your reason for being because then that can also lead you to make these health changes rather than just sort of getting down and thinking I've got to be more healthy Think, "No, what am I working towards what am I wanting to feel like what am am I wanting to do in my life so really identifying a sense of motivation
2: so I want to get healthier because I really want to spend more time with my grandchildren or I really want to you know be able to run a marathon or, you know, identify your
1: motivation. Yes, exactly. Identify what drives you and what will drive you towards your best possible self. So that's number two. Number three, I would limit antibiotics exposures as much as possible. So antibiotics are a good thing. They've increased our life expectancy by about 15 years on average, but they have long-term consequences that we're only beginning to discover through microbial health. They can be linked to long-term risks of things like autoimmune diseases and cancers. So really... Aim to only take antibiotics if absolutely necessary. That's number three. Number four is limit other things that can damage your microbes. So think about where do we get antibiotics otherwise? Well, they come in the food chain, mostly through the meat that we eat. And so think, okay, let's eat low on the food chain so that, again, I'm limiting my ingestion of antibiotics through other places Again, thinking about pesticides, in a sense, that's another form of antibiotic because what you're doing is you're ingesting something that could damage your gut microbes. So that's another thing. And the last one would be sleep. I think you've had Matthew Walker on here. So mm-hmm. we all know the importance yeah. of sleep. Aiming to get your seven, eight hours in, really prioritise it. And it will just make everything else feel a lot better as well. Amazing.
0: Amazing. What an incredible into the series that oh, was packed you. full of information Thank there's
2: so, so, so much. much
1: more i could have <laughs> well i think
2: we're gonna have to do a round two but if anyone does want to learn more dr Gemma newman she has her website and everything but also her instagram which is just plant power doctor she says shares amazing evidence-based nutrition studies data etc there so that is 100 percent worth having a look at And just the biggest thank you to everyone for listening. I feel very emotional thinking that we're signing off to go and have a baby. Um, (laughs) It's (laughs) exciting times. (laughs) I know. It's absolutely (laughs) insane, isn't it? Um, So we will be back once we've given birth to a little girl. And um, otherwise, thank you guys so, so much for sticking around, for listening. And um, if you do want to learn more as well on a plant-based diet and you're interested in it, at the beginning of season two, we did also do an episode on the kind of key things from iron to calcium to b12 to supplements to vitamin d omega-3s all the questions that people often have and are confused about so um, it's about kind of how to eat a balanced uh, vegan plant based diet so that might be helpful to check back in on there's also the food and mood episode a little bit more on mental health which we touched on today and then in season one we've also got a gut health episode so if you haven't listened to those there's a little bit more listening for while we're away and otherwise we cannot wait to see you in autumn
0: thanks so much guys